Hold on, old soldier. Thank you, GE. Thank you, Christy on the piano, singing and playing. <laughs> Amen. Well, I just want to correct one thing that Rev Troy said. I'm not going to be preaching. I'm not going to be the only one preaching today. I have some helpers. Edgar Navarrete and Sandy Solis will be joining me as we present a word and also some testimonies with you all. But I'm thankful that GE sang, Old Soldier, right? Hold on, old soldier. You got to hold on. Do you ever feel like an old soldier? I'm not asking you if you are an old soldier, but do you ever feel like an old soldier, people of God? I'm going to be honest with you. Sometimes I feel like an old soldier. I have, oh, now I'm getting no booze from the gospel ensemble now. <laughs> I, you know, I'm barely into my 30s, but sometimes I, I, I feel like an old soldier. Sometimes I feel like I'm not as sharp as I used to be. You know, in your early 20s, you're very sharp, and all of a sudden you hit 30 and things start, you know, going downhill just a little bit. <laughs> I did a wedding yesterday, and... It was beautiful. It was gorgeous. The, the groom and the groom, yes, the groom and the groom were beautiful. All the people in attendance were just lovely. The place was decked out. Everything was going well. People were crying. People were laughing. And then came time for the rings. You know, after the vows, then the rings come up, and I'm to bless them, and they're to exchange the rings. Well, as I got the rings in the hand, my hand, I had to say a little prayer over them, but as soon as I got my hand over them, one of the rings fell out of my hand. I think I had too much cocoa butter, maybe too much baby oil on my hands, something. But not only did it fall, but it flew across the room, so I had to go diving for it, basically, stepping on it, and then I had to bend over and get it. Now, you ever try to bend over and you realize you cannot bend over like you used to bend over? You try and you try and you just can't do it. And so you have to put a little knee action into it, right? You put a little knee action. So I had to put a little knee action into it, grab it, and then I couldn't get up. I had to put both hands on the other knee, push myself up, run back over to the couple, act like nothing happened, like this is normal, if you will. Stick it in my hand, and then I tell you, I prayed the best blessing over those rings that you would ever hear. And then as soon as I said amen, the other ring fell out of my hand. And I had to do it all over again. But this would not have happened last year, Reverend Troy. It would not have happened. There's something. I'm feeling tired. I'm feeling weary. But it's not just that, people of God. Sometimes I get tired and weary because I hear stories. You all tell me stories. You all tell one another stories of the demands that are going on in your life. Some of the things that you are going through. And it can get to you. You get weary. You get tired. And you feel like an old soldier. Sometimes I do feel that way. Now, don't get me wrong. I love ministry. I love hearing stories and, and guiding people and walking with folks. And I love when they walk with me. But sometimes I hear stories about the pressures of life. People who keep saying, you know, where is this God who is supposed to be so good in my life? I hear these stories and I think to myself, you know, we've got to do better than this. Humanity has got to treat one another with at least an ounce of grace and love. People of God, we can do better than the way we are doing now. And with these burdens, they sit on my shoulders and I carry them heavily. 
And then I go home and turn on the TV and I hear about high school students getting stabbed at school. And then I turn on NPR and I hear about homeless teens with no family or support system at all. And then I pull out the newspapers on my phone and I read about people dying in Syria. Thousands perishing because of chemical weapons. And then hundreds of thousands others perishing because of conventional weapons used in their civil war. And so I see this, and then I hear it, and then I, I read it, and I begin to feel. Do you know what it means to feel? I begin to feel like a weary and tired old soldier, weary and pessimistic with no hope for the world. I hate to tell you, but sometimes even clergy and preachers, we can feel this way. I hope that's okay. And in these moments, I like to listen to music. You know, you can listen, you can listen to the Psalms, you can read a Psalm. You can also listen to music. And one of the songs I like to listen to is an old Mexican folk song that talks about a crying woman, one with no hope, one who wants to drown out her sorrows. It's called La Llorona. God, you may not understand, you may not have no clue of what he just said, but you can definitely feel the pain in the song, because it's a pain that every one of us has dealt with at one time or another. It's the pain of feeling like you're not worthy. It's the pain of feeling that you're worthless and no one recognizes your sacred value. It's the pain of feeling like an old soldier. You get tired and you get weary and you begin to feel sorry for yourself. You might even let cynicism take hold of your life. And nothing good can then happen. And even if something good tried to happen, you will not let it happen. 
Maybe your neighbor has a newborn baby, but you cannot even celebrate with her because you're in your own world. Maybe your friend buys a house for the first time, and you're actually upset. How can this person buy a house and not me? You can't even celebrate. Your boss wants to give you a promotion, and you don't want it because you're a tired old soldier. We see in our scripture lesson this morning in the Gospel of Luke, there are other tired soldiers. They are the religious leaders, people who originally got involved in their religion because of the hope it brings. Right? We come to church because of the joy and the love that we feel. That's how these religious leaders first got involved with their religion. They decided to become a part of it, but even more so, they want to facilitate others' experiences. But after years and years of leading folks and guiding folks and journeying with them, the religious leaders in Jesus' day begin to get cynical. They've worked hard to get where they are. They work hard to put processes in place so people can receive grace and receive forgiveness and receive joy and love. And here is this Jesus offering grace and love to anyone who comes down the streets. And not just anyone, but people of God, everyone. These religious folks that Jesus talks, uh, they say that Jesus talks with so-called sinners and they hate him for it. Like tax collectors, like thieves, like prostitutes and sex workers. But you see, Jesus not only talks with them, he eats with them. The religious leaders say, how could you eat with these so-called sinners? Because by Jesus doing that, he's in fact making himself one of them, coming down to their level. Jesus is making himself a sinner by very doing this thing. They work hard to get where they are, and here is Jesus just eating with these sex workers. Now, sex workers, they've been around for a long time. They've always been exploited and even condemned by two groups of people. Those who benefit from their services and those who fantasize about their services. The religious folks looked down on these so-called sinners. They were undesirable, they were dirty, they were not pure, they weren't religious enough, they weren't proper enough. Basically, they just were not good enough. But to Jesus, he didn't share those views. He welcomed the outcast. He affirmed the downtrodden. He saw the presence of God. He saw something special, something that was divine. And every person that he met, even the least of these, and for reaching out to them, for celebrating them for who they are, the religious folks, they hated Jesus. Jesus was looked at with shame and disgust. There's a saint by the name of Sor Juana Inés de la Cruz from the 17th century. She was born in Costa Rica, but she moved to Mexico. Now, the bulletin says that she was born a natural child. And what that means is she was born out of wedlock. She was illegitimate. She was a bastard child, whatever you want to call it. But for her, she owned this. And this is where she comes from, from this point where one would think undesirable not good enough, not proper enough. And then she begins to study. She begins to write. She begins doing all the things that only the males were supposed to do. And they got mad at her for it. Can you believe that? They got so upset, they even silenced her. Can you imagine that? The church silencing women. Never happened before. Never. 
never, never, never. But even as she uh, took up, uh, 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 she became a nun in the monastery, she didn't shut up. She began to still fight and write for women's rights, women's access to education, the poor, the indigenous folks. But not only that, she also stood up for African slaves. This was big. She would write poems and stories about the baby Jesus, and she would call him the black baby Jesus. How scandalous. People were offended. People were so offended, but she didn't care. And they finally told her that you cannot write anymore. The scholarly world is not for you. Meditate all the days of your life. And people thought she did that. And then when she passed, they looked in her quarters and there were writings and books, plays and poems, some a little erotic, if you will. And there are scholars who have looked through those poems and they've noticed one thing, that not only was she a Latina, of course, but she wrote erotic love poems to other women. And so on this Hispanic Heritage Day, we celebrate one of our own, but it's all of ours. Hispanic, yes. Maybe queer, one never knows. But even then, even then, after that, she became recognized as the first feminist published in the New World. In the 17th century, she would not let them keep her down no matter what. I wonder how you respond in situations like these. We're here to celebrate with God on this day. And too often, we don't look for things to celebrate. And so I want to invite a few folks to come forward and share with them. Uh, they're going to share with you their stories. And I want you to find something. Find something that you can celebrate with them for. And so I want to invite Miss Sandy Solis to come forward now as she offers a little bit about what God has been doing in her life. Hi, I'm really, really nervous. Um, I've been coming to MCC for a few years. I was really quiet the, for the first year or so. Um, I'd come in late to miss the passing of the peace and I'd leave early so I wouldn't have to talk with anyone or engage with anyone. Um, you guys probably don't believe I'm, I'm a little shy, huh? <laughs> um, but there was the choir, and it was just always there, and I wanted to be a part of it, but I couldn't, and I wouldn't let myself, really, because I had put away my dream of singing because of certain life's choices I had made, and I felt guilt and didn't feel like I should be able to pursue that. Well, um, after some time with my girlfriend, we broke up, and um, I decided to go back to Colorado for a while. Um, I had decided to stay there, so I uh, went to a place that's called the Blue Mug. It's a coffee shop, and I went dressed, ready to interview if I were to receive a call. I was sitting alone at a table with my laptop. I noticed a really beautiful androgynous girl also sitting alone, but I'd just gone through a breakup, so I wasn't really trying to do anything, just looking. Um, <laughs> um, I. I was I'm from there, and you know I, I knew I know some people there, but not not very many. Well, before I knew it, she was actually standing at my table. She said, "What I'm about to tell you is going to sound completely crazy. Do you sing?" So I look at her and I'm like, um, and so I'm trying to figure out, do I know her? Did I go to high school with her? Does you know 
I used to sing in high school, but I realized I didn't know her at all. She was about my age, but I didn't know her. And so I said, yes. Um, immediately her eyes welled up in tears. She said, you sing, really? I said, yes. She said, okay, now here's the really crazy part. <laughs> I was sitting there and received a message from God. Imagine the look on my face <laughs> when she said that. She said, God wants you to sing again. He knows that you're not singing anymore because you're afraid, but it's a gift that he gave specifically to you to spread his love. And he wants you to know that you should not be afraid and that he has you in his hands. And suddenly we were both in tears because there was no way that she could know that I was a singer. I wasn't singing. I mean, she didn't know me in high school. She didn't know anything about me. We talked for a little while later. After, I didn't feel like going home, so I went to go visit my friend who worked at the library. I had to tell her the story. Leave it to God to send a message through a hot girl. <laughs> it's the only way I'm gonna listen, right? <laughs> so, you know, thinking about her and the message that she gave me, I went back to that cafe every single day for a week to look for her. I needed to hear the message again, word for word. God had spoken through her and given her a message for me, and I wanted to write it down this time. But I never saw her again. A few weeks later, I reconciled with my girlfriend, and she came from, tex from Texas to drive me back home. And I had every intention and every focus on the church and auditioning for the choir. It took a few Tuesdays, probably about a month, before I had the nerve to finally audition. But I came in, and I met Mark, and I met Reed, and I joined Sanctuary Choir and Praise Team, and now y'all can't really get me to shut up. <laughs> um, I call this church the place that made my dreams come true. After a little bit of Facebook stalking, I tracked down Brooke, my messenger, because I wanted to thank her, and I wanted to let her know that I'd listened and that I was doing really, really well, but I was in for a shock. Exactly one week before I sang in my first service with choir, Brooke had died. I was floored and devastated and in tears every single day. I had the hardest time reconciling it in my heart, and I even talked to Reverend Kristen about it. She helped me to understand the vital part that Brooke had played in my life, that she was my messenger from God and she was my angel and now God had taken her home to sing for him. I sing because God deeply wants me to and every time I sing, I think about Brooke. Thank you. It reminds me of today's gospel scripture that there's that one sheep who might wander away from the 99 others, but you can't wander away from God. We give thanks for what God is doing in Sandy's life. We also give thanks for what God is doing in Edgar's life. Please welcome Edgar as he now comes forward. My name is Edgar, and I'm an alcoholic, codependent, sex addict, and love addict. By the grace of God, I have been clean and sober for five years. The journey has not been easy, but it has been the most rewarding. I was born in Mexico City, September 14, 1977. I am the oldest out of three siblings. I have, I have my dad, my mom, and, and our pets. We were the ideal family. 
people saw us and will always compliment us on having it all together. The pressure of keeping that image took a toll on my family. My father had began drinking heavily and sometimes he wouldn't come home for days. There were a lot of times we didn't have any food to eat and my mom used to send us to the neighbor's house to eat. As time went by, we lost our house because of my father's irresponsibility. We moved from my grandma to my grandma's house and there is where I got sexually molested by my cousin. I was six years old. I never told anyone because I didn't know that this was a bad thing. Later that year, my parents decided that we needed a fresh start and we decided to move to Houston. We didn't have a lot of mon money for, uh, for the whole family to travel to get, uh, together, so my dad told us that he would meet us later. It's been over two decades and he still hasn't made it out here yet. Knowing that my father wasn't coming, that I was violated, that I didn't speak English, and that I was gay made me believe that God was too busy for me, that he, God was on break when he made me, that God abandoned me and didn't protect me like my dad. I was defected, a mistake, a total outcast. I promised myself that I wouldn't want to make anyone suffer like my dad did to us. So I decided not to drink. One day this cute guy told me, here, drink, drink this. I promise I'll take care of you. I hesitated on drinking it, but I did. It felt good. I felt free. Alcohol gave me the confidence and the acceptance. It was a magic antidote. I fell in love with alcohol because it gave me what I always wanted, value. The more I wanted to, the, one, the more I wanted to be myself, the more I drank. I had become a functional alcoholic. I had it all together, but when I drank, it went downhill. I was a liar, cheater, manipulator, selfish, backstabber, and an egotistic, egotistic person. All I care about was me and my alcohol. My relationship with alcohol was intense. At first, I was the one controlling, but at, at the end, it was controlling me. I started getting consequences after consequences, painful relationships after painful relationships. I was done. I couldn't, I couldn't do it any longer. I was 100% sure that God didn't exist. I wanted to kill myself. I was very unsuccessful doing it. I was just too coward to follow through. I didn't have any other options. I was going to drink my life away. One day, I was drunk as usual. I had a conversation with the sky or the air or darkness or whatever was in control of everything. I met a challenge to do whatever. I said, if you really do exist, God, this will be my last drink. I toasted it in the air, I finished it, and I placed it down, and I never looked back. I told God, if you love me, I will face all my consequences, and you will make me a better man. I, it was tough, very tough. I was trusting something that I couldn't see or touch. All I can do is, all I can do is do give him the benefit of a doubt. I started to feel God's presence. He was showing up. When I didn't believe 
God would see, send me signs. He would let me know, Edgar, I got you. Today, my biggest priority in my life is my relationship with God. He is my rock, my strength, my provider, and my everything in between. He loves me so much. He tells me he is the king, he, that he is my daddy, and that I am his son, and that makes me a princess. Thank you. And so we hear stories of people who are moving from feeling like they're tired old soldiers, and now all of a sudden they're the apple in God's eye. We give thanks that even as we hear stories, at first they might, you know, uh, cause us to be a little pessimistic, even cynical. But if we listen closer, if we wait and just see, hope for something good, you'll be able to celebrate with the folks who are telling their stories. People of God, I encourage you this week. Find someone, find someone that you can celebrate with. Find something, find something or someone who's gonna tell you their story and celebrate with them. And after you do that, look in the mirror and find something in yourself to celebrate. If you will do that, I promise you, you will never lose yourself to cynicism. You will never lose yourself to being pessimistic, but in fact, you will always be the apple in God's eye. I give thanks that Sandy Solis is now going to sing a song called La Niña de Tus Ojos. It says, even though you don't know the lyrics, I'm going to tell you, God loved me when no one loved me. God saw me when no one saw me. He gave me name. I'm God's princess, God's little girl. I'm the apple in God's eyes. And so will you celebrate with all these folks in Jesus' name. Amen. Mm -hmm. 